Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from New York, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Health crisis, economic crisis, jobs crisis, and everywhere. In the U.S., an estimated 2 million people lost their jobs in the past week. California crisis, 40 million people in the world's fifth largest economy told to stay at home. And a bounce back in energy markets. Oil has its best trading day ever. It's Friday. Let's make a move. Welcome to our first movers all around the globe. It may be Friday, but there's barely any time for a weekend, at least for some people. We have seen a week of massive stimulus from central banks around the world and governments stepping up to fight what I'm calling a dual crisis. We have a health crisis and we also have an economic one. Now, huge stresses on the financial system remain. More U.S. firms and those around the world are requesting bailouts. And at the core of that, as I keep emphasizing, are people all around the world at risk from both. Goldman Sachs believes that 2.2 million Americans filed for unemployment claims in just the past week. As I've been saying, this is going to get worse. The good news is Congress, US Congress can help, but they need to act fast. Let's take a look at what we're seeing for the markets. For now, we're seeing green across the board. As you can see, US futures are higher. NASDAQ futures, the tech-heavy sector, of course, they've hit their limit up. So trading pre-market has been suspended. We can't go any higher at this stage. Europe also, as you can see, is strong as well. Japan was closed for a holiday, but the rest of Asia advanced too. U.S. stocks actually managed to gain on Thursday. This is the first time in over a week that the Dow has not risen or fallen by over 1,000 points. A welcome break, I can tell you, from the historic volatility that we've seen. However... I think it's too soon to call the end of the selling pressure that we've been seeing. The things to watch are what's going on with energy markets, also with corporate credit, remember corporate debt levels and borrowing, also the rush that we've seen into the US dollar as as people try and hold the world's reserve currency. Now, the US dollar is lower today, as you can see, after a fierce eight-day rally, putting huge pressure on emerging market economies, oil, also rallied. It rose the most on record yesterday. It was a 23% spike. And as you can see, higher again today. I'll explain why, what we're seeing later on in the show. What we do need to see, though, we need more facts. We need to understand what economic damage is being done here. We also need to see stabilization in the $9 trillion corporate bond market. Worries there remain. You guys know my view. The Federal Reserve may need special powers from Congress. 
millions of people need protecting. We need trillions of dollars of US stimulus. Wartime levels of spending are required. And then we'll get through this. We're already seeing it in other parts of the world. We need to see it here. Let's get to the drivers. Christine Romans joins me now. Christina, I'm calling it a jobs crisis, and this mm -hmm. is just the beginning. This is a tsunami. It's hitting the United States. It's also hitting all around the world. But what we're starting to see here is expectations building of millions of people losing their jobs. And it's happening little bit by little bit every single day. Yeah, I've never seen a labor market turn this quickly. And, and here's why. In a garden variety recession, you have small and medium sized business owners who think naturally that things might not get too much worse. And so they hold on to employees as long as they can. What they're seeing now is a deliberate shutdown of the economy that could last for a quarter, maybe a little bit less, but maybe a little bit more. There's no need for them to hold on to those workers if you're in leisure and hospitality, because you know you're not going to have any business. We saw a Goldman Sachs survey of small businesses, 1,500 small business owners. 51% of them says they, they cannot survive three months like this and they think this is going to take three months. So why would you hold on to your workers? We are seeing what started as a stock market crash is now turning into a job market crash. And it's happening more quickly, I think, than, than anybody thought it could. I think we thought it could, Christine, because we've been warning about this. We've said perhaps the even bigger issue here is the lack of protections, the lack of, yeah. of health care, of support, of ability in many cases to collect some form of benefit to tide people over in this economic gap that's being created as everything shuts down everywhere. I just made the point as well about the, the markets here and we're seeing green too soon. Be careful. Too soon, yes, because we're going to see this data get worse. Yeah, I mean, Mohamed Al-Aryan, you know, who is a, a bond market and economy king, he, he's tweeting this morning that he's glad to see this kind of optimism. It's probably because you've seen so many efforts this week um, from governments and from central banks to try to get a stimulus floor under the markets. But he is telling people, be careful. There's a lot of this story that is still meant to be written. And there's no playbook for this. Julia, you and I have said this for days on end. There's no playbook. We are deliberately shutting down the global economy, and then we're going to try to flip a switch and start it back up. It reveals weaknesses, specifically in the American economy, I will point out. Yes. Weaknesses that um, I think strong jobs numbers and a strong stock market overshadowed over the past decade. Wage growth, access to quality, a low-cost health care, paid sick leave. Uh, that's still uh, not 100% fixed here. And even the congressional action that's been taken doesn't make it permanent, just makes it for this for this crisis, almost guaranteeing you that you're going to have another health crisis from sick people who are working because they, they, they have to work to be paid, right? So we have these weaknesses that have been revealed in the American economy that uh, don't look like they're going to be fixed here in the near term. They are huge flaws in this economy and all the people that are ranting that bailouts shouldn't happen, we understand there is yep. no time. This is so much bigger than politics. This is people, people's lives. Christine Romans, thank you for that. All right, California's governor has ordered the whole state. So we are talking nearly 40 million people to stay at home indefinitely. It's the first statewide restriction of this sort in the United States. Kyan La joins us now from LA. And we need to help our 
international viewers understand this. This is the fifth largest economy in the world, 40 million people, and they're being simply told, down tools, stop what you're working, go home and stay there. And, and to not be productive in the fifth largest economy in the world. The state of California is the largest economy in the United States. So the economic engine is effectively stalled here in the United States. Um, what uh, you're seeing here is, is a neighborhood that, I, that I'm actually quite familiar with. This is a neighborhood that uh, as we wake up here in the United States at 6 a.m., you normally see trucks all lined up along the median, people starting to get their morning coffee getting out and about, uh, deliveries being made to all of these shops. None of that is happening right now. The governor of the state ordering all of the residents, 40 million people, to stay at home, to not go to school, to not go to work, and to not go to any shops. If they go to a non-essential shop, this is what they'll be greeted with, a closed sign. And the reason of it is because of coronavirus. The governor of the state of California saying that he came to this decision by doing simple math. If California continues along this path of infection, the, what they have seen so far, that 56% of the population would get the coronavirus. And that if you look at how many people estimated would have to go to the hospital, the state would be shy 20,000 beds. And that doesn't even include, Julia, all of the uh, ventilators, the masks that the medical personnel need. So the governor taking this very drastic action, hoping to keep his people in this state safe. Julia? I know, and it's happening in all of the states as well. Most of the states are facing the same kind of critical challenges. Kyang Lars, stay safe for us, please. Thank you for that. Now in Washington, Republicans and Democrats will start negotiations today to hash out a $1 trillion stimulus package. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell defending his strategy after he unveiled a plan drawn up without any input from Democrats. Why did you insist on only starting the negotiations that you've been having over the past couple of days with Republicans and the White House, obviously all Republican, instead of making it bipartisan? And I ask you that not as a process question. It's not a process question. It's because of the times we're in right now. Uh, and the question is whether or not that is slowing down the process at a time when Americans need action right now. Actually, speeding it up. We just passed yesterday a bill that was written in the Democratic House of Representatives. The Republicans are in the majority in the Senate. We wanted to put forward our proposal. We feel like we have an obligation to do that as a majority. And the Democrats, of course, need to be given an opportunity to react to it. And that all begins tomorrow. So don't create controversy where there isn't controversy. Well, no, it's not about controversy. It's just this is about Americans saying we need help and we need help now. I mean, yeah, I know. Are, are and this is the quickest way to get it done. Trust me, this is the quickest way to get it done. Exactly the way we're doing it. Speed and size required. Lauren Fox has the details. Lauren, I keep saying we need to rise above politics here, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. What hope for getting this agreed? Well, we'll see that first opportunity today at 10 a.m. where Republicans and Democrats will sit down in a room together and they will go over this proposal from Republicans. Now, this is a $1 trillion proposal, and it includes things like $59 billion to help with loan guarantees for the airlines. They have been badly affected by this, as well as $150 billion in guarantees for other industries. And the bill is not super clear on who exactly 
would be eligible for that money. But you can expect that Democrats' focus today in their meeting behind closed doors will be that they want to understand how can they put together a proposal that also puts the focus on Americans who could be out of work. Now, this Republican proposal includes stimulus money, $1,200 for individuals who make $75,000 or less, and then it reduces from there. And at $99,000, you no longer get that credit. But Democrats say more needs to be done to focus on American workers. And we're going to see those negotiations today. But Early indications show us that Pelosi and Schumer, who lead the Democrats in Congress, they're not happy with this opening off, Julia. No, I understand. But it's interesting that in terms of the sheer size here, Lauren, they seem very comfortable. What about making this even bigger? Do you think that could have support on, on both sides of the aisle here? Just recognizing the sheer challenge that the job losses here present. Well, certainly on the Democratic side, that's something that you're going to see them put forward. But on the Republican side, there were already issues with the size of the Republican package. You started to see some Republican senators coming out of lunch yesterday when McConnell was going over this package and when the committee chairman were laying out what was inside of here, very concerned about some things like just handing Americans $1,200 in cash. A lot of Republicans are arguing that money would be better spent in guaranteed loans for small businesses who they might want to incentivize to keep workers on their payrolls as this economy really goes through an uncertain time. So you're already seeing some concern from Republicans on the Republican package, not to mention what would happen when you start to open this up and make it even larger. Lauren, great job. Thank you for that. Lauren Fox. All right, help is reportedly on the way for people in Britain worried about their jobs. The finance minister, known in the UK as the Chancellor, is about to help send announce more aid to help employers pay their staff during the crisis. Anna Stewart is in London. Anna, I keep talking about how the UK gets it. The sheer level of spending they're talking about is like a wartime scenario. You're right on the front lines there talking to businesses who are having to make incredibly tough decisions here. And trying to process through all the information, lots of fiscal monetary measures mentioned almost every single day. Yesterday, uh, the second emergency rate cut from the Bank of England, uh, 15 basis points, taking it down to its lowest ever, 0.1%. Also announcing huge QE again, another $230 billion worth of government and corporate bonds. And that should, of course, lower the costs of borrowing for the government so they can spend, spend, spend and help some of these businesses. Uh, this is my neighbourhood. I wanted to take you here to see how it's actually helping the real economy or not. Some of the business leaders here, particularly from the pubs, the cafes, the restaurants, they are burning through cash, trying to pay their staff, but demand has completely dropped off. The government has urged people not to congregate in pubs like the one behind me, cafes, restaurants, but they haven't been told to close down. So I've been asking, what are their biggest concerns? Stuff wages. Stuff wages. That's the most important thing. Just give you cash or just directly pay the, the your employees. That would be perfect, but uh, I'm not sure how <laughs> in a perfect world that would work. But some assistance for paying staff is the most important thing, because I don't want to be cutting staff's wages, and, and then that's that's just going down a whole, a whole route that we don't need to go down where people aren't getting paid, and then they can't, they can't buy food for the, for the table, I, I, I expect. Some of us have made the decision to shut immediately after that announcement and then some bars and restaurants and cafes decided to keep going mm -hmm. because the message wasn't definitive, you have to close your doors. So the people that 
stay open versus even close. It just feels like the message is not. It's, just, it's been confused. It's been really confused. But opening, opening one's doors feels like you're encouraging exactly the thing that they're trying. You know, the, the social sort of gatherings and the things that we shouldn't be encouraging. So I felt like closing was the only option. It's incredible what all these businesses are doing. The pub landlord uh, is offering takeaway pints. He's giving out loo roll for those neighbours that don't have it. Uh, another pub around me is considering to set up a food bank in the coming weeks. The cafe is closing, it's closed its doors, but it's opened a window and it's serving its customers at a distance. It's making pasta sauces for those people that need to cook more, of course, at home. They're doing everything they can, but what they really, really need right now is cash and cash fast. They don't necessarily want to load up on loans. Many don't apply for the cash grants. They don't want more debt. So what they want to see from the Chancellor later today is a promise that they will somehow ensure maybe 75% or up to 90% of their employees' wages. Similar measures have been taken by other governments in Europe, for instance, Sweden and Denmark. Julia? Yes, cash and cash fast. Anna Stewart, great job. Thank you for that. All right, coming up on First Move. The IMS former chief economist gives his take on the best way the measures are required to protect jobs. Stay with us. To first move, a quick look at what we're seeing in terms of action for the US markets this morning. We do set to rise, look set to rise for a second straight session. As you can see, the Nasdaq is outperforming after tech stocks rose 2% yesterday. Nasdaq futures have actually hit their limit up. So they've not actually been able to trade any higher for around two hours now. It's a lesser degree of volatility, but it's still volatile. In line with the green that we're seeing in stocks, the US dollar is lower against some of the major currencies. Remember, we've been seeing session after session of hoarding of, of US dollars, gold, higher, 10-year yields a little bit lower. So that means bond prices are rising. Oil is extremely volatile after major gains yesterday. Let's talk about what we're seeing here in terms of fundamentals. Ken Rogoff joins me. He's professor of public policy at Harvard University and a former chief economist for the IMF. Ken, fantastic Good to have you with us. Just Thank talk you, to me. Julia. Firstly, about some of the data that we're starting to see, the sheer scale of job losses potentially that are feeding through in the United States, not unexpected given the challenges and the shutdown that we're facing. Well, I mean, it's breathtaking. We seem to be facing potentially, I would say going far as say likely, the worst drop since World War II, maybe going back further. Uh, hopefully we'll get a recovery. But uh, if you put the pause button on the economy, California, which would be the fifth largest economy if it were a country, has shut down. They have gone on, you know, everyone to their shelters, don't leave the house. Uh, so obviously a lot of small businesses, they can go for a little while holding on to people, but not indefinitely. They're really struggling. They hire a lot of Americans uh, all over the world. Small businesses are important and the larger companies will have problems in due time. Not contained within this, of course, is people that get paid under the table. They're not even recorded in the statistics here that are instantly out of work as well. What we're seeing from other governments is a wartime scale financing response here. I look at the size of the US economy and we're not talking 
the right size here in terms of numbers and support and speed. Do you think we get there, Professor Rogoff? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the $1 trillion package that they propose so far is like a first step. Um, it's going to be a lot more before this is over. Of course, the Federal Reserve, in a way, has taken on a lot of debt. And we hope it turns out it pays off. But yeah, I think everyone understood that understands that's also a fiscal cost. And some of the numbers you're seeing out of Europe are a bit exaggerated by the fact that they're loans and not outright grants or aid. But yes, this is going to be wartime financing. I don't know what lies at the other end, but we have to get there. And uh, I think governments uh, really need to do whatever it takes to try to protect people, uh, protect businesses. At the end of the day, though, you have to fight the health crisis. You have to try to decide how you're going to confront this because we're still in the war. It's hard to think about the other side of the war. And uh, I think they're profound uh, economic, uh, political, moral questions that governments are struggling with. How long can you keep things shut down? In California, after eight weeks, okay, what's the game plan? Uh, eventually, if the economy is not producing, you can't be providing all, all these loans and all this aid. Uh, we need to find you know sharper ways of trying to protect the most vulnerable, of measuring when people are sick and trying to isolate them. They just need to ramp up incredibly, and yes, a wartime footing in every aspect. I think the answer to that, Professor Rogers, is you simply have to print money. Um, to your point, we've seen the Federal Reserve throwing money at the system to try and stabilise an economic crisis that's being created by trying to tackle the health crisis. I mentioned earlier on this week on my show that I wonder whether the Federal Reserve ultimately will need to be given the powers by Congress that the European Central Bank has, and it can simply say, we can buy anything. We will shore up the system to restore some confidence, just to allow people perhaps to forgive loan repayments. We need to freeze the system in the same way that the economy is being frozen. I mean, yes, I don't know how well the Federal Reserve is positioned to do that. It's a technocratic, it's small. This is really the, ultimately the responsibility of the government. But because the Fed can move so much faster, it can certainly get going. I mean, right now, the central banks are fighting a full-scale panic. This is uh, the economic crisis really lies ahead. It's just starting. But the financial markets are in panic mode, a rush for cash. Uh, even bond uh, bonds are suffering. And the Federal Reserve, when it saw that, it's done things it said it wouldn't do. It said it would not backstop money market funds. And I sort of sat in on meetings, listening to them insist on that. And of course, they very wisely have done that at this point. But yeah, they're, they're uh, you have to throw out the rule book here and do whatever you can. But it's not all the central banks. The governments are going to have to come in, as you say, Julia, with massive, massive spending. And the U.S. is slowly waking up to this. But again, the big thing is to try to do a better job with the health crisis. The more you can calm people down, the more you can manage that in a more uh, economic, less economically destructive way. Obviously, that will help a lot. We need a Marshall Plan. We need a Marshall Plan to galvanize wasted resources at this moment to producing masks and to producing ventilators. Do you think we get to the point, and it needs to be today, 
but very quickly where Democrats, Republicans rise above the politics and recognise we risk depression in this economy, given the job losses and the pressures that are being placed everywhere and globally. Yeah, well, call me an optimist, but I think the experience of the last financial crisis is sort of instilled in people just how bad this can get. And yes, I think um, there'll be agreement, but only to a point, obviously, because they each want to do other things where they, I think they're going to agree on spending many, many trillions of dollars. They have to hammer out an agreement. And unfortunately, we enter this crisis where the political system was at war with itself, not just disagreeing. And they have to be adults and, you know, really stand up for the country and overcome this. And I hope they will. The weight of the world on America's shoulders, too, because we're the largest economy. Professor Ken Rogoff, I want to be optimistic like you, too. Professor of Public Policy at Harvard University. Fantastic to chat to you. The Market Open is next. Stay with us. to first move you can see the opening bell there live from the new york stock exchange and it seems to be members of the emergency services ringing the bell this morning or those indeed the people that have been testing temperatures and taking care of of people the traders and the press as well and the staff there at the new york stock exchange i know them well all right as expected we are seeing green in early trading this morning this would be the first back-to-back -back gains that we've seen this month at this moment tech stocks are the strongest and I'm being cautious when I'm saying it, but the Dow is again over that 20,000 level. We have seen massive emergency measures from global central banks, stimulus kicking in from nation states this week. And I keep saying it's not enough, but we are seeing a little bit of stabilization in the session. I can give you a read of what we've seen. U.S. stocks still significantly down for the week. The Dow faring the worst, as you can see, down some 13%. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing for the European session as well. We've got French stocks outperforming here up four and a half percent, but we are rising from incredibly beaten up levels. Travel and leisure stocks are bouncing some nine percent. That sector, they're bouncing again. That's been the hardest hit at the epicenter of the, the global shutdown that we're effectively seeing here. Paula Monica joins me now. Paul, I'm reading green arrows on the screen, but I'm being incredibly cautious in what I'm saying here. The jobs data that we're starting to get a sense of in the United States is sort of the thin end of the wedge for, I think, what we're going to continue to see as we get a sense of the economic damage being wrought here in trying to tackle a health crisis. Yeah, there is no question, Julia, that we are going to have extremely ugly jobs numbers in the coming weeks. You're already starting to see some economists predicting jobless claims figures that uh, you know could be in the millions because of the number of people that are being disrupted by the COVID-19 outbreak. And that obviously is not a good sign, but I think investors are heartened by the fact that the Federal Reserve and other central banks, they've basically taken out multiple bazookas, to use the Hank Paulson term, and have fired them multiple times. And now we're finally starting to get some fiscal response as well, not just monetary. I mean, there are hopes of massive stimulus packages from 
the U.S. Congress and White House, as well as other governments around the world, everyone is taking this seriously and realizes that there needs to be a lot of help. And it's going to come from the private sector, too. Walmart hiring a big number of temporary workers, paying out uh, some uh, cash payments as well to uh, try and help their uh, labor force. So I think you're going to see a lot of other companies that do have good balance sheets and a lot of cash put it to work to help their employees. Or at least that's the hope. Paul, I love that you mentioned this point because I do think that big businesses, big business leaders understand the situation here. And we've got wasted assets in empty warehouses, in empty hotel rooms. We've got manufacturing facilities that could be being used to make ventilators if they can understand the the science required or face masks more simple here. We just need a Marshall Plan to galvanise these industries to put themselves to work here in in different ways to tackle the crisis. Exactly. I mean, uh, this is very analogous to World War II, and you are going to see companies. We've already had it with the big three automakers and Tesla starting to make ventilators because, you know, people aren't going to be buying new cars probably anytime soon. So use those manufacturing facilities and put them to work to make things that everyone needs right now. And then now, like you said, I mean, a lot of those places that would be otherwise vacant retail space or warehouses, use them maybe for makeshift testing centers or other, you know, medical facilities, be it, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, on, on the ground hospitals quickly that we might need for the rising number of patients that are dealing with this. Obviously, I think corporate America could be that third aspect of stimulus that we really need. We're getting it monetarily, finally starting to get some fiscal action. Corporate America has a lot of cash on their balance sheet and trillions of dollars. No one wants higher dividend payments or stock buybacks right now. Everyone says they're using all this cash. Why are they hoarding it? They're saving it for a rainy day. This is a biblical flood. Don't worry about what's going to be coming afterwards. This is one of the time where you've been hoarding cash. Put it to use. You've given me goosebumps, Paul. This is a tsunami on one country and on the world all at once. Do more. Thank you, Paula Monica. Right, let me show you what's going on in the energy markets now. Oil under a little bit of pressure again today, though, after U.S. crude surged 24% during Thursday's session when the U.S. Energy Department asked to buy 30 million barrels of oil. Let's get the details with our John Defterius. John, it's it's a story that has a ripple effect and implications far beyond just the energy markets. But this is interesting because what Russia and the Saudis effectively have created is more pressure on the United States, the biggest output player here, to effectively provide a bit of a support here. Talk us through what we're seeing. Uh well, it's interesting. Also, the market moves, uh, Julie, were up 24% yesterday, and in Asian trading, we're up another 7%. That quickly faded away, primarily in the words from Russia. They're suggesting they're willing to talk. We have to find a compromise here between Russia and Saudi Arabia. And to your point, I think it's a triangulation between the United States, Russia, and Saudi Arabia at this stage. And what has happened here is that Saudi has pivoted to a very different strategy. They opened up the taps, as you know. They cut prices to their preferred customers uh, as well. 
And they're suggesting, look, we're not the number one producer in the world, but we're the lowest cost producer. So why is that the case? To get to number one, to your point here about the U.S. shale producers, you needed to see about a million barrels a day knocked out in 2020. I would think in talking to Saudi sources, they'd like to see another million knocked out after that to put them in number one and have the U.S. and Russia competing for the second position here uh, going forward. You already see ConocoPhillips, a host of medium-sized producers in the United States as well, cutting their CapEx budgets, and they're already starting to see the production dropping, Julia. So it is having an effect. And I thought we'd get above $30 a barrel for Brent today. It just isn't happening because the confidence isn't there. So you said you had the Wall Street open. You're tentative about it. Feel the same way about oil at this stage. Yeah, there's just too much going on. This is just one little piece of a way bigger issue that's going on right now. And when we're throwing words around like recession, depression, whatever's going on to try and extract oil out is is perhaps a, a side issue at this stage. What about people rethinking here? Are the Russians perhaps having second thoughts? Are the Saudis holding firm? And what about pressure on Congress? Because you know, President Trump said he didn't want intervention and he wanted oil prices lower. And you can't then cry when they go too low. You know, I was thinking about this, Julia, because uh, the U.S. likes the Goldilocks price. Uh, between 45 and, say, $65 a barrel. They had that when Saudi and Russia were getting along. So you can park that because that's not going to happen. And the interventions that the U.S. are talking about right now are, have nothing to do with the free market. We hear uh, those in Congress suggesting there should be an import ban on Saudi, Russia, and OPEC crude overall. Pretty extraordinary. It represents about 30 uh, percent of uh, overall imports by the United States. Number two, we had 13 senators from oil and gas states write to the crown prince of Saudi Arabia directly saying you got to rethink the strategy. Now, the geopolitical aspect of this is very interesting. The crown prince has had a lot of backing from Donald Trump the last three years on the security pact with Iran, be able to buy weapons when he had problems with Jamal Khashoggi, when he did the Ritz-Carlton 400 uh, in the hotel on the arrest. Donald Trump really never blinked. He's a transactional president. He may come back to the crown prince right now and say, it's payback time. You can't go this far and damage me during election year, particularly in the oil and gas states, which represent about 10 million jobs all throughout the economy. Yeah, what a challenge. This president is pretty busy right now. John Defterius. Thank you so much for joining us. That's for sure. As many hospitals yeah. report a shortage of coronavirus testing kits, how one company is helping to diagnose COVID-19 cases at home. All the details next. first move as coronavirus quickly spreads across the United States and beyond. Many states here say they simply don't have enough testing kits. San Francisco-based medical company Nurex is launching home testing kits and a telemedicine service. Dr. Chris Hall joins us now. He's senior medical advisor at Nurex. Dr. Hall, fantastic to have you with us. I know you are working, you and your team are working frantically at this moment Talk to me about what your product is and who specifically you're targeting. Right, thanks for having me. So we are developing a comprehensive home testing and consultation service for COVID-19. This will focus mostly on folks who have symptoms, but also will include people at high risk for having acquired COVID-19. They will be able to take this test in their home. 
they will register on our app and we will see their request and have a kit shipped out to their house in 24 hours. So what you're trying to do is keep these people who think they have this illness away from the hospitals and let the medical staff there deal with the most critical cases rather than perhaps dealing with people who may or may not have it. Absolutely, Julia. The point of home testing and home services is that we can keep people out of what we call the brick and mortar healthcare system. And indirectly, we're protecting healthcare workers by doing that. Uh, in the United States right now and in certain localities, many, many people are at home. Some are in shelter in place, some are at lockdown and otherwise are just being recommended. It's being recommended that they stay home. So where is a better place to conduct testing, but right there. So our test is designed to be sent to them. They can collect it easily at home. They return it. And within 48, 24 to 48 hours of the lab receiving that test, they get a result right on their app. And not only do they get that result, but they get supportive counseling messages and they can be assisted by us in determining what that result means in terms of further isolation or uh, other steps that they need to take to protect themselves and them, their family. Okay, I'm just doing the math here. So an overnight post of the kit, then they do the test, they send it back to you, then 48 hours processing. So it takes around four days at this stage. Talk to me about cost, because I know this is unclear and it's a confusing message coming from, from states, from the central government, the federal government here over whether these things are free or not. What's the status now? I know it's complicated. It is complicated, Julia. Uh, we aim to provide this service at the lowest cost possible, and it will be at cost to us. Uh, it will be provided at a price that it takes us to produce this test, uh, have the lab test done, uh, and provide all the services we just discussed. So the reimbursement rate, unfortunately, for a generic COVID test in the United States has been set so low that it actually is lower than the amount that it costs to ship um, the product both ways in some cases. It's lower than it costs to actually give the test. If you add up all of those costs, we're way under the reimbursement required. The system is really not caught up with the actual costs of providing testing and other services in the home, unfortunately. Wow, so the government needs to know this because part of the stimulus bill that we're seeing now needs adjusting to make this work. Okay, we can talk about that more, but what else do you need? Because I'm sure, and I know you're starting small, it's around 10,000 tests, but you can scale this up. I'm assuming right. you need money, you need production facilities, laboratories in order to be able to carry out the testing of the samples that you're getting. Well, you are right. There are many uh, components that are needed to actually bring this to patients. Uh, fortunately, we've uh, we've identified the components we need to bring uh, the 10,000 tests that you mentioned and hopefully 100,000 tests in the next uh, few weeks after that or, or after that. So we've been identifying the supply chain issues. As you probably know, these swabs that are used to collect samples are in it are in high demand and are very difficult to get a hold of. Um, in the US, when people are being asked to stay home, there's a question of will people come to work? So we have to deal with the workforce issues of identifying qualified staff and getting them to work. Uh, and again, we're working on those issues every single day with our partner lab. We do have a central lab in Vancouver, Washington, uh, where all of these samples will be sent. So we can control the process there. And uh, thanks to that longstanding relationship we have with that very experienced 
lab, we're able to bring this service to the market very quickly. Actually, within two weeks of determining that we were going to do it in the first place. It's astonishing how quickly you've done this. And I know before you were a company that looked at birth control and was sending out birth control. And so you've literally shifted your focus and are doing what's required in a ginormous health emergency. Very quickly, um, Dr. Hall, your point about the supply chain stoppages. In Given your experience, do you think this is something that needs controlling at the federal level or is it okay for states to be trying to fix these things themselves? I keep talking about a Marshall Plan in this country. Would you agree that that's what's required here? Central control? Well, I think uh, perhaps a little bit of both. I mean, I think ha- trafficking the our, our t- uh, traffic uh, over the supply is definitely important uh, to ensure that uh, materials get where they need to go. But I think one thing that we've learned in this very short experience with coronavirus so far is that it's the ingenuity of a variety of partners. So whether it's government, whether it's universities, whether it's private enterprises, one thing we found at Nurex, uh, and getting back to your point about uh, pivoting from birth control to this, uh, is that folks are just incredibly excited about bringing their experience and bringing their uh, energy to this problem. So uh, we wouldn't want to squelch that. We want to capitalize on that excitement of individuals to bring their talent to bear. Uh, and that's what's happened with us. I mean, we looked at one another and said, we are the perfect sort of platform to be able to bring home testing to folks. Um, we we're already doing much of this. And so that's why we were able to stand up the service in a couple of weeks. But getting back to your point, yes. I mean, I think uh, coordination is definitely important. But we also need ingenuity uh, to to make this work. There's just so little time. I know there's so little time. Innovation in times of crisis. One of the things America does best. Thank you, Dr. Chris Hall. We'll let you get back to work. Thank you for your work and your team's work. We're going to take a break. Up next, after years of increasing speed and quality, Netflix and YouTube go the other way, slowing things down. How working from home is reshaping the streaming, streaming landscape. Stay with us. First move, YouTube and Netflix will slow streaming in Europe for the next 30 days. This in response to a European Union request. The Internet is under extraordinary strain as workplaces, schools and social life move online. But the CEO of telecom giant Verizon told our Richard Quest he's confident that similar measures won't be required in the United States. So far, we have no indication of that. We have built very robust network when it comes to Verizon. We have very, very much uh, deep uh, fiber in the in the whole uh, network, and of course, we have a great wireline network. So far, we we don't foresee that. Uh, we have prepared for this all the time. We always have headroom in the network. That goes both for the wireline network and the wireless network. Haddis Gold joins us now. Haddis, we were talking to you yesterday about the strain that's being placed on the internet. It looks like some of the big companies now are responding and are making adjustments. 
Julia, that's right. YouTube and uh, Netflix are saying that they are going to be slowing down the quality of people's streams in order to try to preserve the internet infrastructure. Now, what this means is that they say they're going to slow down the bit rates. Now, what you might see on your Netflix if you're in Europe is that it might be of a lower quality. It might need to buffer a little bit longer. If you have one of those ultra HD TVs, you'll still get it in HD. It just might be a little bit slower. It might not be of full quality, but it's in a way to try to preserve it so that everybody can still get access to their favorite shows to entertain themselves while they're all stuck at home while trying to keep the strain on the internet as low as possible. Of course, this comes after EU officials had conversations with people like Netflix CEO trying to encouraging them to use standard definition instead of higher definition because if you think about it, all of us are at home. We're all streaming things. And actually, I've spoken to experts in this field and they say it's not just the streaming that's causing the strain on the internet. It's all of the live streaming that we're doing. What I'm doing right now with you actually has more stringent requirements than live streaming. So people who might be live streaming their lectures, their classes, video chatting with their friends and family, all of that is an increased strain on the internet infrastructure that we're just not used to now. As far as we can tell, we haven't seen any intense slowdowns. All of the telecom companies that I've seen in Europe are so far saying they're able to handle the current traffic that's going on. But these companies are starting to step up. And in actually the last few minutes, I just heard from Amazon, who said that on Prime Video, they are also planning to slow down the bit rates just a bit on Prime Video to try and help in this effort as well. Julia. So very quickly, that's in the United States or just in Europe from Amazon? No. That would just be in Europe. So far, we wow. haven't seen these same types mm. of efforts really anywhere else, not in the United States. This is a European-specific issue. Now, it's not clear exactly why Europe is more concerned about this than other places, but this might be something that we see coming down the line in the United States as more and more people start this shelter in place like we're seeing in California. And that was going to be my answer and my question there. Had us gold. Great to get your insight. Thank you. Right, one last check of what we're seeing in terms of markets at this moment. We're losing some of our earlier gains. We, was, we were already cautious and we remain so. The Dow up some three-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 tilting into negative territory. Goldman Sachs, IBM and Pfizer leading the Dow lower. There's more struggle to come, but also hopefully more action. We wait to see what Congress can come up with later today. That's it for the show. You've been watching First Move. Get some rest this weekend. We will see you on Monday. Take care of yourselves and each other. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.